All right, you back? You back? Baby, I never left. Where's your water? I don't need water. You just took one drink. You need to keep drinking it through the show. Listen, do you want... <laughs> I gave you what you wanted. You gave me... You gave, <laughs> I, I gave dr- you what you wanted, you son of a bitch. I drank water. All right, that's all I wanted. I wanted to be sure that you were hydrated and you, you felt good. Mouth sounds good. That's how you want to start the show? Yes. Uh, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Gritty Reboot. I didn't know we were recording. We're always recording. <laughs> I was recording while you stepped out of the room to go get water earlier. Wow. Just recording here, just me singing it myself. Very good. Hey, it's how, the best way to start a show. Well, hello. Hi, everybody. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. Today we are going to be talking about uh, Mortal Kombat. This is a movie that I go a long time with, but there's a couple things I want to get into before we start talking about Mortal Kombat. So we did our uh, 25 and 25 for the holidays. Yeah. And we watched a a good amount of holiday movies. Out of the ones that we watched, I was going to ask you, which one was your least favorite? Uh, Something some, some new that we had tried. El Camino Christmas. Was it El Camino? This is going to be two podcasts in a row that you've talked about El Camino Christmas. Yeah. And I don't know why. <laughs> because it's not a Christmas movie. It, one. Is, it takes place at Christmas. We've discussed this. If a movie takes place at Christmas, that's all you need. There was no decorations hardly anywhere. And it was like a desert they were in. It's the least Christmas movie I've ever seen. I don't know if I'd say the least, but it's a... Um... I think it was a decent movie. Like, I thought it was a fun kind of tale, like a nice little crime caper with like a little bit of Christmas flair. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, yeah. but I disagree. Yeah, you're very snobbish about those Christmas movies and things like that. I have a set, like, few movies that I um, must see every year. That one's not going to work. It's and that one's not going to be one of them. No, nope, not going to happen. We watched one of our my favorite ones last night, Better Watch Out. Yeah, that's a really good one. I love that movie. Yeah. It's got a great twist that I didn't see coming the very first time I saw it. Yeah, and it's pretty it's pretty brutal. Yeah, it really it's is. A brutal movie. Yeah, it takes another stab at uh a little jab at home alone. Mm-hmm. And one like how basically like Marv and, and the wet bandits can take almost infinite damage and punishment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean in reality, like that would leave them pretty fucked up. And that that's kind of cool to see like the realistic outcome of those things. I I, I dig that movie a lot, so it's on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to go check yeah, it out. Yeah, check it out now. Actually, it's everywhere. Anywhere it's got videos. Any, any place that has ads in their videos, you'll find it. Yeah, it's free everywhere. Okay, so the first thing that I want to talk about is the damn opening theme song. Test your might. Yeah. Oh. So great. Oh. This soundtrack became the first platinum EDM record in history. Oh, really? In less than two weeks. I'm not surprised. This song caught on everywhere. Yeah. It really did. It was a true force. It was. I remember, um, yeah, because I bought this CD when it came out, and it had, like, I think three, or two different versions of this song. They had this one, and they had a little bit more melodic one with dialogue from the film in it. Huh. And so, but obviously that that's the title version. That's the one everybody, everyone remembers. If you'd like guys, you can find a 10 hour version of that on YouTube. So you can jam out to that all night. Wow. Yeah. Or just fight like a hundred ninjas, whichever you choose to do. Very good. Yeah. So, I mean, th- I mean, it's a true iconic theme and it, it stuck with the series for an, an incredibly long time. So it starts off with uh Liu Kang having a bad dream. So we get Liu Kang showing up and then we get Sonya and then Jax, mm-hmm. and they're both cops. Yeah, yeah. Or I guess they're cops. They could be. They're different kinds of cops. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, it's, it's not important. It could they're, be ATF for all I know. Yeah, they're just, they're just, there is a special organization that they that they are right now as they're looking to, st- to shut down Kano and his criminal organization. I forget what the, the specifics are. I was going to say Stars Team, but that's Resident Evil. My brain keeps wanting to say Stars, but I know that's not right. Different game. I tell you one thing about this movie is that it gets... All the characters, it shows you all the characters right away. Yeah, yeah. The the movie, it, it understands it's at its heart a bit of an ensemble piece. So you're going to have to introduce a lot of people. And you really do have a lot of moving parts 
if you think about it in this movie, like who all comes into play, you know, more than just like Kano and, uh, you know, Liu Kang. I mean, you, you really have like most of the game cast in there and, and doing something significant. I mean, even Reptile, a secret character makes his way into the picture. Yeah. So, I mean, you really do have a lot of people to juggle. I hate Reptile's design. Well, you know, I mean, that's what he was going to look like a bit in the second game. And I think that's the best they could do with visual effects at the time. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, and then at the end of that, it doesn't should, hold up. But say if you're if you're coming in without any knowledge of the games, you'd be like, why are there so many ninjas with the different colors? And that's just something you you would just take for granted coming from the games. It's very true. Yeah, yeah, you would have no idea why that was be the attire that he chose to dress into in one time as a human. It's but as the, nerdy as knowing like the different colors of the meaning in Star Trek. That's as, about as nerdy as you get. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that in, in that level of like nerddom to know yeah. like what, what each one of those means, to yeah. be perfectly honest. So, I mean, hey, listen, <laughs> that's just how it goes. So, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I know all the different ninjas and their different color schemes. So Yeah, but you are a super nerd. Yeah, and I, I grew up with those games. Like, I know Aramak is purple. Watch him be red. No, Rain is purple because it's purple rain. That's the joke. Oh. Yeah, Aramak is red. Fun. Yeah, it's not a real character name. They thought they thought Aramak was a hidden character, but it's actually an abbreviation for Aramacro, a game designer term. So eventually they made him a secret character. That's how things work in the Mortal Kombat games. Huh. Fans think something happens, and eventually the creators put it in there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this movie, um, a lot of things about gaming transfer over to films can... Well, not be. <laughs> it can be pretty gaming, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, these films can suck, and they often hit when the the height of the craze has already kind of passed. And this wasn't the case with the Mortal Kombat movie. This movie is coming out, I think, a few weeks after, a few weeks before Mortal Kombat three hits um, arcades. Yeah, this movie is the fourth highest grossing video game movie of all time. It's also made $23 million in its opening weekend. Yeah, I mean, to come from 1995, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, Mortal Kombat was was huge. I yeah. mean, it really was. It, yeah, it, it was. A, it was an absolute phenom. And, and I, I, Mortal Kombat was, you know, rising up, you know, in the arcade scene. People were talking about it. You know, it was this game that was getting a lot of attention and buzz. And there was a lot of attention being paid towards the home version. And this was a video game that went mainstream. And this is one of the ads that, that really helped launch it. And like, this is all it is. It's just some kid in the streets of New York just screaming Mortal Kombat like over and over again. Huh. But it laid this like, it let everybody in America know this is a big, big deal. Because yeah. everybody, like, there were adults watching TV and go, what the hell is that? And their kids are, like, freaking out, like, punching each other in the face and everything like that. Because that's the kind of phenomena that Mortal Kombat really was in, like, 95. So this movie catches the, the real wave of it. And you know what? It gets a lot right from the property. And that's pretty cool because that's not something that was occurring at that time. What do you think about the cast in this movie? Well, the acting isn't very good. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I mean, there's things that I like. Like we have um, Christopher Lambier, the Highlander. What I mean, what else can you say about him? He is B movie gold, and he really does help here. I think Raiden can be a, a pretty thankless and um, how do I put it, <laughs> a boring part. You're just sort of playing a god, not a whole lot to it. But he managed to throw a little bit in the character to make it kind of fun, and it's something I very much appreciated, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, everybody loved him on set. He actually brought a lot of levity to this, the set, because it, it was a very serious movie. Yeah. There's a lot of serious stuff going on, mm -hmm. and he actually brought a lot of levity to the set. Yeah, yeah. It, you can certainly tell that. Like The, the scenes with him take on a, a, a much... There's a lot of life in his performance, and that really translates through any sequence that he's in, to be perfectly honest. And the chemistry he has with the cast is just, you know, immediately there. You can see it. Yeah. It's clear as day. It really is an, an impressive thing, what, what he was able to add to it, because he just gives the movie uh, just enough star power. You know, I know he wasn't like a big name, but people knew who he was. So it, it gave somebody who necessarily was co 
who wasn't coming in as a big fan of the games who could come in and just see maybe an action movie or a Kung Fu flick. Mm-hmm. And that's something it wouldn't have had, I think, without bringing in a talent uh, like his. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's great. Scorpion was originally hired as a stunt ninja, but they ended up using him because they were so impressed with his skills. I'm not surprised. The The guy's really good. That I mean, the fight sequences with the ninjas actually works really well. Yeah. Yeah, they all look really good. That's one thing that I think sets this movie apart from maybe a lot of other uh, 90s um, kung fu kind of movies like that is i think this movie has pretty nice choreography to be honest uh the choreographer the fight choreographer was his name was pat e johnson yeah and he worked with robin shock or Liu kang it could be shao yeah i think it's robin shu shu yeah okay robin shu Liu kang and he was a former hong kong stuntman so he had free reign to add what he wanted to everything you know and it really really shows uh, robin shu is incredibly athletic you can certainly tell from his physique and the way he moves. It once again gives you that little bit of authenticity and legitimacy to the fight sequences. Mm-hmm. Like when you see him moving and, you know, also acting through those sequences, there, there's a, a nice visceral feel to those older fights. And the fact that uh, Paul W.S. Anderson was able to sort of put the camera down and, and, and let a bit of a fight sequence happen in front of him without quick cutting to something else, unless he had to, you know, unless he yeah. was trying to hide an actor's lack of talent, which he was a, a couple, I think Bridget Wilson, I think she suffers a little bit, but that she wasn't always the original picture. She, she did do all her own stunts. She did. She did. Yeah. Uh, and I so mean, it does, impressive. it does look convincing. I, I know she wanted to, to be able to compete with the rest of the guys and everybody else in the cast because she was coming in later than everyone else. The, uh, can you guess who the highest ranking martial artist on set was? Oh man, uh, I'm trying to think. I'd want to say it was Robin Shu, but I guess it could have been uh, Tagawa, uh, the guy who played Shang Tsung. Nope. Who was uh, it? Sub Zero. Oh, yeah, really? He played Sub Zero. Oh yeah, man, that makes sense. He is the highest ranking martial artist. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I know, right? All right, so uh, Liu Kang basically his whole thing in this movie is finding his brother's killer. And he gets on a, a weird boat and... Yeah, they get on this old, like, Chinese kind of junk-looking boat. Yeah. And it's completely trashed and everything like that. We have our whole cast meet together. We get a little funny sequence with Johnny Cage. Uh, Scorpion. Luke Kang doesn't help him with the bags. He throws them over the side. Yeah. And then Scorpion and Sub-Zero show up. Mm-hmm. And then Raiden shows up. Yeah. And at this point, I'm bored. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I think for me, and I, I do have to mention this as, as part of my criticism towards the movie, is that a, a lot of things are going to be you know masked by nostalgia for me, to be honest. Because like I just talked about earlier, you know, you're you're talking about 1995, and like video game movies around the time are like the Super Mario Brothers movie, which wasn't very concerned with what the games were about, mm-hmm. you know. And this was a movie that was very concerned with what the plot of the games were and what it was supposed to be, you know, because guys looked accurate to the game and I appreciated that the story was accurate to the game. And for me, the movie will always have my respect for that. Cause even now you don't necessarily see that. Yeah. But coming, I'm coming from somebody who didn't, watch didn't play the games yeah because i don't have any experience with the game i mean i have very little experience with it yeah that's true you were like who's that guy i'm like that's kano what do you mean who's that guy yeah yeah like i really don't so uh, coming from somebody who hasn't watched or hasn't played the video games the movie is just kind of boring well i I don't think the movie really drags to be to be honest i I, you know i've seen a lot of movies that do and I, i think if you aren't coming in as a fan of the games I think this movie does a pretty good job skirting you through the lore and everything you're going to need to know for the story in this movie. And then you're really getting to pretty high octane fight sequences, some cheesy dialogue, but there's a few jokes here and there. I mean, I think, and trust me, when it comes to Paul W.S. Anderson, I'm not a fan. No. This is one of the few films from him that I do like, and I, I do believe it still holds up for the most part. You know, with the exception of CG, 
honestly, I every time I watch the movie, I still find it watchable. There are movies I have a nostalgia soft spot for, but I'm aware they're pretty crap. I don't think this movie is crap. I, like I said, it isn't perfect, but for a kung fu film from the 90s, I think it's pretty damn solid. Yeah, it's. It, I just don't like the movie. Well, I mean, like I said, to, to each his own, and it, like I said, it is dated, but I, I've always had a real soft spot for it, and I, I think I'll, I'll certainly c- continue to. You know, for throughout the years, I like. So I don't. I I don't think another generation will really like the movie. I, you know, I don't really know w- what it holds in that respect. But the one thing I can tell you is, uh, the games really honor this film um, a great deal. A lot of the actors from this um, from this film adaptation ended up playing roles in the games, or the characters were completely based off of that. Yeah, that's one thing I do know. Uh, Kano was never written as a, an Australian character. And after the performance of, of the actor in the film, they completely rewrote his entire origin and everything like that so he could be Australian. So uh, they were influenced a lot. And Ed Boon and John Tobias, the creators of Mortal Kombat, they really, really dug this film. And I, listen, I, I agree with them, to be honest. You know, getting, getting those movies to where no respect was paid to the source material, the amount of love that was shown to the source material is really nice considering the era, to be honest. So... And like I said, Paul Davis Anderson, he was young then, 25. So there was a chance he'd probably been to an arcade and played some Mortal Kombat. So it wasn't out of the realm that he kind of had some affection for it as well. So why does Sonya have to be in such a bad mood? <laughs> yeah, she generally I feel hates. like a talk show host when I say that. Yeah, she... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you do that because you have to do that too. Well, when I, used to do, when I used to read down the cast list, I'd feel like Don Pardo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And be like, you know, and then Bridget Wilson, Robin Shue, Christopher Lambert. <laughs> like I was introducing like SNL in the 90s. Musical guest, the Smashing Pumpkins. It's Sonya's character is not very charismatic. No, not at all. She is, I, I think she's well played by Bridget Wilson, who's probably one of the more accomplished actors in the cast. <laughs> That's not saying a lot, but she really would be one of the, the better actors here. And, you know, I, I think the actor who plays Liu Kang, Robin Shu, is, is fine, if a, a bit wooden here and there. Lynn Nashby's also pretty solid as well, but I, I can't remember seeing him in, in much else after this film. She is unhappy with everything, you know, with Kano. Even when Kano's dead, she's not all that thrilled. I don't I don't care for her characterization really here, but she probably well, she wasn't in Mortal Kombat 2, so there wasn't a whole lot of extra characterization done with her for the games. And like I said, Bridget Wilson ended up sort of being the template for what the character was gonna be for about the next ten years. So the first match is between Sub Zero and I think just like it, some dude. Yeah, just some random guy doing some kicks yeah. and showing off his abs. Yeah. And it makes light work of him. Yeah, no, he does the, um, it's a very ancient fighting technique, which is when your opponent is drawing together some sort of magical ice or energy ball, jumping right into said energy ball. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much all that occurs. He just jumps like right into that thing and hits it and is immediately turned to ice. And in the, in the movies, really only gory kill, I guess, is where his severed head kind of rolls at Shang Tsung's feet right after that. Yeah. And that's about as close as the movie really gets gore-wise, because we're dealing with a hard PG-13. And I, I want you to know anybody that would be really critical of that aspect, since the most famous thing about Mortal Kombat is the violence and the fatalities and the gore. To not have that in the film would seem like a travesty, but I can assure you there, was an, there wasn't a snowball's chance in hell an R-rated video game movie could have been produced in 1994 or 1995. Yes, but it does take away from the movie. It does. It, it, it does. It, it does take away a little bit something. But to me, that's, that's never really bothered me because I, I'm aware of the fact that Mortal Kombat, despite being mature, was a, a property for kids. You know, it was a property for guys who were, you know, 14 at max, you know, to be yeah, but perfectly the, honest. So you couldn't exclude them from that theatrical experience if you wanted to make money. Video games were played by kids, too, but they had tons of gratuitous violence. But this was the first. You have to remember that there wasn't a long line of gratuitous violent games. You know, this was the first real game to yeah, do that. Yeah, but the game, like, shoves it in your face. Very much so, yeah. So, I... It's all the game's got. <laughs> well, you know, to me, that aspect has, has never really bothered me. It, it didn't bother me when the series is toned down violence as well. And, like I said, it's a long, long series. They've gone up and down. Yeah. How they portray the violence and everything like that. And certainly where it was at, 
you know, Mortal Kombat was a, a violent game, but from two to three, there was already a transition from this isn't like ultra realistic hardcore to a little bit more cheesy and campy sort of style because the second game has a much darker tone. And by the time you get to the third game, which would come out only a few weeks after the movie, you know, there's babalities, animalities. There's a lot of jokes in the game. You know, if you were to make somebody explode, like 15 feet would come out of them or something like that. You know, the games were sort of transitioning to a much more comedic vibe. So that also was something that weighed on me watching the movie is I never really looked at them as that mature, even though they, they had a lot of blood and gore in them. Mm-hmm. So with that aspect not being there, yes, it's something that you, you could say is missing. But like I've mentioned before, I was perfectly fine by getting the respect to the characters and the story of Mortal Kombat and just a lot of really cool fight scenes. Ed Boon's the creator of Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. I think everybody knows that. Or I guess he's a co-creator, right? Yeah. Uh, John Tobias. He voices Scorpion in this movie. Yeah. Get over here. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's done that for, for quite a while. This is also the first big Hollywood movie to use wires in their stunts. A method the stunt choreographer got from shooting in Hong Kong. Yeah, the the movie does have a, a really nice Hong Kong vibe to it in a lot of the action sequences. And that really helps out immensely, especially for the actors who were able to use their fight training effectively. What do you think about the effects? Dated. Yeah. I mean they, they were what they were for ninety five. You know, this was like a this was like a twenty million dollar movie, I think, maybe a little bit less than that. Yeah, I don't have those numbers. Yeah, I think it, I think it was a little bit less than that, maybe like an eighteen million dollar picture. I think it ended up making like 155 worldwide. Very good for 95. But, you know, with a $20 million budget, they put it into a lot, a lot of their stunt work and their fight choreography. That's where they were really focused on. And that's why, you know, when Reptile comes out, he's only out for a few moments before he is thrown into a statue and a very talented stunt performer comes out and is actually able to do a, a much better fight scene than we'd have with a CG character. And then let's, let's talk about Goro. Yeah. In 1995, it would have been disastrous to try to do, like, a 3D CGI character for Goro. So your options are basically stop-motion animation or a puppet. Yeah. So they pick puppet. And it has varying levels of success. (laughs) Sometimes it looks kind of okay. And that's probably about as good as it looks. It looks very phony and moves in very janky ways. Let me tell you about that. Goro was obviously animatronic and was yeah. operated by 13 to 16 people. And it frequently broke down, causing delays. I do remember this from the behind the scenes. It was the million dollar puppet. That's how much the whole cost of the thing was. Yeah. And it barely worked, right? Yeah. And it's like the Jaws shark, except. Originally, they in his area, they had like pawns and stuff. Yeah. But they removed it because he was so glitchy. They were worried that he was going to fall into the. The pond yeah. and like short out. <laughs> yeah, he was he was that troublesome. Yeah, yeah, and because there's now there's multiple puppeteers, and but there's like a, a guy inside there walking him, right? Thirteen to sixteen p- different people. Okay, okay. So I didn't. Yeah, I, I knew there was a guy in there who was sort of moving the body, but I know he could. He was very limited inside the suit. Yeah, because nobody thought about you know heat or air. Yeah. So, like, he was jumping at that thing for, like, five minutes time where he would just kind of pass out from exhaustion and heat and lack of air. And they have to wait to set up another sequence. Making movies before CG came around to make this easier was very difficult, guys. I can't stress that enough. The effect looks pretty cheesy. I mean, granted, it looks better than something like The Rock and The Scorpion. I mean, The Rock in uh, The Mummy Returns, playing The Scorpion King when he comes out as The Big Scorpion. Mm-hmm. This looks better than that. But, I mean, that's a low bar, obviously. So, but that's like, what, 98, 99 when right. that movie comes out? You're talking about something five years later with a much bigger budget. So they made the call they had to make, and it works okay. It works okay. Right. So basically, you know, everybody wins their matches. Liu Kang wins his match. Sony wins his. Sonya wins her match. Scorpion attacks Johnny Cage. Uh, we got a lot of fighting sequences. And Johnny Cage defeats Scorpion. When we have the Katana fight, she... She gives. She ends up giving uh, Liu Kang some pointers on his next fight. Yeah, it's not really a fight. It's not. It's more like her 
She just sort of gives him, they do a couple of moves and she just gives him advice about everything he should be doing. Yeah. Not exactly a big rumble or anything. Like Shang Tsung should be like really pissed. Yeah. I think Shang Tsung's super confident. He doesn't care. And then Sub-Zero and Liu Kang fight. Liu Kang wins. He uses the element which brings life. Yeah. <laughs> so it ends up being just a giant spear and, and Sub-Zero freezes himself, which I like that, like his head slowly shaking as his body freezes underneath him. How do you feel about the stakes of the movie? I mean, the whole world's at stake. Any character could have their soul sucked out. So, I mean, you know, things are escalating. It increases to me, but it's ultimately uninteresting. Well, that, that I wanted to see how the story actually played out. You know, that's one thing. Like, Shang Tsung sort of changes the rules at a certain point in the tournament. He just takes Sonya with him when things when Goro dies, you know, because that's sort of his plan is that Goro will lay waste to everybody. Nobody can beat Goro. So when somebody does, I, I like how he mixes things up a little bit, and they have to go to Outworld. And Outworld's a nice set piece. At least, you know, I think it is. They they make it work with the budget that they do have, and it has a different look than what we've seen. And so I certainly want to see how everything in the movie sort of turns out. And I mean, I think we get a, a pretty engaging fight sequence and finale with Shang Tsung and Liu Kang, where he teases him about, you know, his brother and everything like that, you know, and he's able to use all that against him. I, I think a lot of that is actually... Pretty well laid out. I mean, this would be a pretty solid Kung Fu flick, even if it didn't have the Mortal Kombat name on it. Yeah, that's another thing I'm not as familiar with either is a, a whole lot of Kung Fu um, movies. I watched uh, the David Carradine show with my mom yeah. back in the day. Uh-huh. I've seen like one Bruce Lee movie. Yeah. So I haven't really, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge of the kung fu movie so i'm pretty much the worst person to watch and judge this movie <laughs> that's a possibility well you know you you know a little bit about you know how these movies are supposed to work and i i mean i think it's a functional one to be honest and i think that's probably like the worst thing i'd say about it at best the movie's entertaining as hell you know at least i, I mean i think it is yeah, especially with the action fair that came out around that time especially this is like a 20 million dollar flick i mean it's just it's full of fun characters yeah, there's a lot of cheese to it, but you're going to get some pretty amazing fight, fight sequences. And if you're a fan of the game, it's just a nice fan service as well. Something that wasn't done at the time and sometimes skipped today. All right. So the last bit of, of trivia I want to give out is uh, Johnny Cage. His real name is John Carlton. I'm sure you know this because you're a big Mortal Kombat dude. Yeah. His surname Cage is a play on the Japanese word cage, which means shadow. Follows his fighting technique, okay. including... The shadow kick. Mm. What'd you say? Kage. Not cage. Oh. Yeah, that's the word. Kage. Kage. I had, the, I had someone tell me this years ago. It was the same individual who did the Suikoden thing. Oh. Yeah, so I was, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show or not, but I'll tell the story again, because that's what podcasters do. You tell the same 10 stories over and over again. So I was in college, and I was getting to know a lot more about some Japanese RPGs that I had missed, and I was playing one on the PS1, which was a few years old at that point, and I looked at it. It was called Suikoden. And I enjoyed the game immensely. The guy let me borrow it. I gave it back to him and said, man, I dug this game. I really enjoyed Suikoden. And he looked at me like just right in the eye and said, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed Suikoden. And I didn't realize that like every Japanese word that came up, he was going to say like in that tone of voice, it didn't matter what it was. Like if we were just talking about, you know, anything in particular, he'd be like, oh, yes, I've enjoyed the games from Miyamoto. Like he just had to put that emphasis on it. I guess and, he thought he was being respectful. Yeah, I think so. Like it wasn't like him being a dick or anything. Like he's never he never said like, "Oh, you're you're not pronouncing that correctly." Yeah. Let me let me show you. Now maybe that's what he was saying. Like, let me show you how it's pronounced. But he was never like a real dick about it. I just think that's just how he thought it was the best way to go about life. No, well, that's that's great. Yeah. So now anytime <laughs> I see Suikoden or any kind of game like that, I just shout that in my head. I think of him every time. I know you. We do joke about that. The game often. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the only way. That's the only way you know it, so. All right, you ready to jump into Mortal Kombat 2021? First learned about this seven years ago. On a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. I dig this movie. The target has superhuman abilities. Okay, so let's talk about one of the things I think we can agree on that the movie does get right. 
and that is this is R-rated. Yes. So we're finally getting the blood and the gore, or at least a, a good amount of it. They even toned down the gore. Yeah, yeah. Because they got an NC-17 initially. Yeah, but say when you rip out some guy's guts in a video game, it's just some dude in a video game. When you do it to a real person, it's a little more disturbing. Yeah. So they didn't um, go all the way they could with that, but they, they do live up to a very, very hard R. This was directed by Simon Mc- McCoyd? Yeah. This is his first directorial feature. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. this is the, the first movie that he has done. And boy, does it show. Yeah. Um, it's... Um, this movie, well, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to get into it, but I mean, I was very excited for this movie. Mm-hmm. Because, listen, we do the Gritty Reboot show because we're always excited for what another filmmaker can bring to a property or an IP or anything interesting like that. So I was incredibly intrigued when Mortal Kombat was being rebooted because it was something that I agreed had a ton of potential for a reboot. The first trailer hit, R-rated. We looked like we were getting very accurate costumes and designs of the game, good fight sequences. Yeah, the Red Band trailer clocked in at 116 million views. Yeah, I think it was like the most popular like R-band, Red Band trailer that year, right? That's in the first week. It's become... The biggest red band trailer of all time. Oh wow! That's I mean, it's not surprising at all. Now th- this movie had a lot of hype behind it. Now some of that was also aided because it was a new movie coming out during um, midway through the COVID pandemic and lockdown when a lot of movies weren't really coming out. So people were really excited, you know, to to go see it. And I, I was initially, well, I was immediately let down by the film. Uh, this movie is a slog. The way this movie dumps story exposition on the viewer is really just detrimental towards building any kind of pace or momentum. See, I like the story. And listen, I I think it's fine, but especially like I like I really like the opening sequence with with the uh, with uh, Sub Zero coming in and killing the family and the and that that's great. That that's really good stuff. That's what the movie should be about. But the movie's not about Sub Zero. And Scorpion and their longtime feud. It's not. The movie is about was it uh, was it Cole Han or Cole, Cole Young? Cole yeah, Young. I forget about that guy. The movie is about a character who does not exist in Mortal Kombat. That's games, his biggest weakness. Cole Young, and that's fine if Cole Young was an interesting and dynamic character. And he is the most boring person in this movie. Yeah, he really is. And we have to follow him for no particular reason until he gets his boring power later in the film. Why do you think they chose to add a new character? Well, I believe their logic was, let's introduce new people into this world of Mortal Kombat. And my response to that is, who the fuck doesn't know what the Mortal Kombat property is in 2020? 2021, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mortal Kombat's been around for 20 plus years. There have been multiple games. There's been movies, TV shows, comic books. People are aware of what the goddamn property is. Sub-Zero and Scorpion are some of the most popular characters in all of, not just gaming, but pop culture. Yeah. So the idea that you'd have to inter- have someone to be the proxy for the audience to introduce how everything works is a dumb and, and silly idea. Be that as it may, it would have been fine. If Cole Young was interesting, and like I said, that that's the crux of the problem with this movie, is that he really isn't, and the movie takes itself a little seriously with his storyline, and it's majorly to its detriment. Yeah. I think the movie is about uh, Sub-Zero and, and Scorpion, but I don't... I agree with you in the sense that Cole Young is a weak, weak, weak character played by a weak actor. And listen, it, it's it's okay if you know you're going to have like a flashback or kind of do something else because there is a story of Scorpion and Sub Zero, but you know Scorpion's in what eight minutes of screen time, maybe less. Yeah, he's trapped in the what is it, the outer world? Outworld. Outworld. Well, he's trapped in the Nether Realm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's not get into it. Yeah, I don't know what let's I'm talking about. <laughs> no, he, he's he's trapped down there, basically hell. You know, he's been waiting for... You want to talk about Star Trek? I can talk about Star Trek. (laughs) One day we will. (laughs) That day isn't today. Today is the day for the combat. We're introduced, like I said, to this jobber MMA fighter. And, you know, he's down in his luck. And we get introduced to the world of Mortal Kombat by him being stalked by Sub-Zero. 
Yeah, Sub-Zero shows up and makes it rain ice. Yeah, and in a pretty cool sequence Which to like show that the power scene. of Sub-Zero. That, yeah. That's very interesting. The way Sub-Zero is portrayed is, is very, very well done. Like, he very much is a threatening foe, and that's something the movie gets right. Like, he's somebody you want to be scared of. You know, we get introduced to him, and he does all these powers. He cripples Jax, who is immediately shown to be a very strong and capable character. I like that scene. Yeah, he has his arms iced and ripped off, which is incredibly impressive. And then after that, the actress who plays Sonya, uh, Jessica McName, I think, or McNamee, I'm not really certain how to Yeah, Cole Young goes to find her. Yeah, and she just kind of sits down and explains a lot about the Mortal Kombat universe, which is all not necessarily needed. You know, but we get it. And that's something that this character has to do a lot. That Sonya character has to introduce a lot of exposition about introducing Cole Young to the world of Mortal Kombat instead of putting us, you know, with a character who is going through the tournament. Because this is the movie's other major flaw, is I guess I'll just go ahead and talk about it right now, is it's a Mortal Kombat movie that's not about a Mortal Kombat tournament. Yeah. The movie is about preparing for the tournament. And it might be the worst setup you could possibly do for this movie unless it was about Sub-Zero and Scorpion picking out their costumes. Yeah, unless this was like intentionally a two-parter series. Yeah, which I, I mean, they, nobody was banking on that. I, I don't know why they would have gone that direction, to be perfectly honest. Even as I look at it now, I, I don't know why. They're going for a sequel. Obviously, at the sure, end. Sure, but you can't count your chickens before they hatch. I mean, there's... They you know, were clearly going for a sequel. You've got no guarantee that you're going to get to a damn sequel. No, but this guy thought he was. You know, and listen, it's just a strange decision for uh, an adaptation to take at the end of the day. And that's one thing I think that I will always have against the movie, to be perfectly honest, because there's a lot of things you could do within the story of a tournament. You know, it's very easy to tell a good narrative where things build up, you know, because of how a tournament is laid out. Mm -hmm. And this movie sidesteps all of that for what is basically people finding out about Mortal Kombat, long exposition in Outworld from Shang Tsung, and exposition back home in a very small cave that they're training in. And that's really all we get to see of these fanciful worlds, right? A trailer. We have two fight scenes in a goddamn trailer. Just, I like the movie. I think it has a lot, lot going for it. You know, I, I think it's got an interesting story. It's got the fighting sequences that do happen are interesting. It's got pretty decent effects. Yeah, I think I think the effects are good. I think the actor who plays Kano is just it's fantastic. got a great cast. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, oh, it's uh, Josh Lawson. By the way, I wanted to mention him. Uh, he does a really fantastic job as Kano. Both actors in both movies really do great scene-stealing work as Kano. And that's something that deserves to be mentioned out of both properties here. Yeah. Um... I just, I don't think the fight sequences are, are well done, to be honest. They are very typical Hollywood cookie-cutter, cut, 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 cut fight sequences that don't let the action breathe. I mean, you hire actors that know martial arts, and then you don't let a shot linger on them doing martial arts could be anybody by the time you cut it down like that. And it completely ruins the impact of a lot of, of a lot of the fight sequences in the movie, even though we do get some cool kills and everything and some game accurate moves, you know, these fight scenes are, are really nothing special. I mean, they're not as bad as like taken three or anything like that. They're not cut to hell like that, but they're not very impressive set pieces to say the least. All right. We know you didn't like this movie. <laughs> uh, Louis Tan, who plays Cole Young, performed all his own fights. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, he's, he's apparently a skilled martial artist. And I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't have he's told you that from watching the movie. Two separate martial arts. And those are things you have to take advantage of an actor who has that kind of skill. And the, this, you know, this production didn't do that. Now, that's, like I said, one of my biggest critiques against it. When uh, Jax gives directions to Cole to find Sonya, the directions he gives are actually the address to NetherRealm Studio, the developers of the game. All right. I like that. That's a good little Easter egg. Yeah. That's a good little Easter egg. Can we talk about Cole's power? Because that, that's what this movie has, you know, because every Mortal Kombat character has like a magical ability, like from the game. Arcana. Yeah, and Arcana is what they call it here. In the, in the games, they could throw fireballs or do all sorts of crazy I stuff. I like the idea of an Arcana. 
Yeah, I think that's fine. There's there's nothing wrong like with that. Player at all. leveling up. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that actually is a, a pretty nice idea. But the, the movie does spend a, a lot of time on this idea. Like you have to train to unleash it and everything like that. And you know, as much of a character journey it is, like at the very end of the movie, Sonya kills some kills Kano and gets his Arcana, Arcana, mm-hmm. and immediately knows how to use her powers without any of the training, <laughs> sort of negating the entire second act of the movie. You know, it's neither here nor there, but it's one of those things that that don't help the movie sort of gain any momentum. It's kind of a movie where people die, but nothing really matters because at the very end, like everyone is sort of wiped away by Shang Tsung and then they might come back in a future movie. What do you think about the reptiles portrayal? I think especially it's- from the last film, because you got a CG mess and then you have reptile being very lizard like. Yeah, because that's how he's now portrayed in the games. And originally he was always sort of masquerading as a ninja in the earlier games. And at a certain point he took that off and it's just the reptile. Yeah. So that works a lot better. And I, I think that's actually a pretty nice effect sequence, um, how that works in the house and them trying to find him as he's invisible. Like, I think that all works really, really well. I, I like that a lot. Moving slows down for the training and expo, which we kind of talked about. Yeah, it really does. Is the entire game faithful? Hmm. This is a pretty accurate adaptation of, of how things go in the game and how people look in the games for the most part. That is one element of the movie that I really won't criticize at all. It does appear to be very much in line with where the modern games are at and where where we've seen them go. So that that's one thing I do have to give it. The, the, the movie does have the property. It does pay it the, the same respect the original film did, if not a little bit better. We get uh, some different characters in this game. Mm-hmm. This game. You this listen movie. to me. This yeah, I know. Movie. Already falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have uh, Nataro, General General Ranko, Katana, Cabal. Nataro is easily defeated by Kung Lao. Yeah. She's a jobber. And a pretty cool moment where she goes right into that hat and gets just chopped and diced by it. I love that. Uh, Goro shows up to try to destroy Cole, but he easily gets his powers and... Sh- yeah, he gets his, his yeah, he gets basically armor and then he has like billy clubs. He becomes striker for some reason. I don't his know why. arcana is so lame. It's pretty lame. It's really just plot convenient for him to battle Goro. Yeah. For him to be able to take all his hits and be able to dish him out and you know, mess Goro up. And and, and that's another thing. Like Goro's a big deal. You know, the entirety of the original film is about building up to Goro, right? That's the whole second act. Mm-hmm. You know, Goro is unbeatable. We have to find a way to defeat him. And in this movie, he's just a jobber for Cole Young for some reason. A guy who can't beat any regular human fighter in the MMA ring can all of a sudden beat a four-armed, 10-foot-tall prince of another world. Like, it's no big deal. A guy who's won nine Mortal Kombat just becomes a jobber for no reason. I don't know why. Yeah. And you think a guy with, like, four arms. Yeah. I mean, you know... If the sequence, if the fight sequence between those two was a little bit better, maybe I'd be a little more encouraged by it. But, you know, I guess it's upsetting they would use him as just a jobber, considering how important he was in the previous movie. If Are there any characters that you wish were portrayed in this movie? Well, obviously, Johnny Cage, you know, they're saving him for the sequel. That's the sequel tease at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, Johnny Cage has sort of become the lead of Mortal Kombat. Which is uh, weird. Yeah. It, it, in the very early games, obviously from the first movie, it was Liu Kang. And Liu Kang was sort of the cheesiest character in the games for a, a number of years. And somewhere in the PlayStation 2 era, they killed him off. And he eventually did return as a zombie because you know, nobody ever stays dead in the Mortal Kombat series. But that is how he was um, sort of uh, – that's how Johnny Cage got his opportunity to sort of be the star of the Mortal Kombat franchise. So it was kind of weird to not see him there and represent in any way, shape, or form. I also would have loved to see my boy Baraka uh, represent a little bit better than his terrible costume from Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Got it. Yeah. Not much to say. Uh, here is a couple other interesting trivia. Joe Taslim, who was Sub-Zero, was asked to slow down because he was moving too fast for the camera. Yeah, that's a common issue with martial artists. A lot of times they have to stop and slow down a little bit Yeah, because the camera just can't catch him. At 24 frames, you'd be surprised what you can miss when you're moving that damn fast. In uh, 92, when Mortal Kombat was being developed, they had the name as Mortal Kombat with a C. 
but changed it due to difficulty in securing the title. They changed it to Mortal Kombat, and Ed Boon liked it because it drew your eyes to it. Yeah, yeah, and it's become like a truly an iconic, really iconic name. I, I do love and all the old manuals and stuff like that. Every letter that could have started with a C began with a, a K. <laughs> Sub Zero's original costume weighed seven kilograms, which is fifteen point four three pounds. That's pretty heavy. It, I mean, it did look like a pretty like nice costume, to be honest. That's one thing they really get right: the look of all these characters. He could hardly walk in it, so they redesigned. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can think of like, you know, actors sort of put in a costume that they can barely move in. Like we watch the old Batman movies. Yeah. Like the way like you can see Michael Keaton really struggle to do anything or or Christian Bale not being able to move his neck in the first movie. And then uh, Bihan, which is Sub-Zero's name, it means keep out the cold, which makes it like, kind of ironic. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? No, I, I think we kind of talked about everything here. We, you know, uh, I we of, know that you kind of hate it. I know uh, we're we're split. Uh, two different we are ways on different this ways. Yeah. You really enjoy the second movie, which I, did. I, I don't like, and and you're not down at all with Paul W. S. Anderson and his version. What's funny is, is like I I don't I, I don't really care to watch the original Mortal Kombat, but I have watched without you Mortal Kombat several times. Yeah, I I, I, I enjoy the movie. I'd seen it one time, and then I watched it again. I, I didn't really have any interest to. Watch it another time, and I think I, I was watching it a third time to test out our new sound system, and eventually I moved on to another more interesting movie from it. I just don't really enjoy it, and I, I appreciate what it tried to do you know, with that more accurate, violent take, and it's still paying the proper respect to the genre. I just wish a little bit more work would have been done with the screenplay and a better idea to take on this Mortal Kombat franchise to the screen. All right, so we have Mortal Kombat 95. It has a 4.2 user review, 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 5.8 on IMDb. Mortal Kombat 21, 3.8, which is lower, which goes with what you would probably feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is higher, and 6.1 on IMDb, which is also higher. And then here is a one-star review of the first Mortal Kombat. Absolutely the worst movie I've ever seen. I was unfortunately dragged to see this instead of some other cool movie at the time. That was R-rated because my best friend was asked to take his younger siblings along with him to the movie theater, and they were not old enough to see an R-rated movie. So like a trooper, I stuck with it to to endure this movie while our more scumbag friends ran off to see a better movie. Going in, I didn't have any expectations, really. I had played countless hours of Mortal Kombat, the video game, in the arcade while in high school, And that was a cool game. So I thought, hey, this might not be so bad. This guy does run on sentences like Clearly, yeah, yeah. Man, I was wrong. Now, why would you take a video game filled with extreme graphic violence and then try to turn it into a movie for a general audience aimed at young children? Because you're an idiot without any common sense? That's why. The only fatality is when one of the fighters stupidly slips and falls off the side of the mountain. There's no blood, no gore, nothing. This was one of the most boring movies I've ever seen, and this is supposed to be an action movie. I'd rather watch somebody play the video game than watch this movie. Seriously, watching somebody play the video game is way more entertaining. What a waste of money and time. Don't ever see this movie. Don't rent it. If it comes to TV, change the channel, because if you see it, you're going to have a bad time. If you walk by the room and you catch a glimpse of this movie, gouge your eyes out (laughs) is what this reviewer would recommend you to do. (laughs) Bang your head into the floor until you think of nothing. Yeah, see, he thought it was boring and I thought it was boring. Yeah, he hated it a lot. Like I said, you guys are fools. (laughs) No, it's. I guess it's not for everybody. I think it's pretty tightly paced, but I I guess maybe I'm in the minority. Who knows? And then we have uh, the 2021... Review, one star. Okay, so I thought the 90s version was bad until I saw this train wreck of a movie. The casting was absolutely terrible because they didn't fit their characters. The main actor who played Cole is very stale and too boring to be the main character. And don't even get me started on Luke Kane. He looks so weak compared to the 90s actor. Oh, yeah. The only interesting thing was Kano and Sub-Zero. Kano's lines felt more natural than the rest of the actors, and Sub-Zero was pretty, actually pretty dope. I just hated how his costume wasn't blue. It's his signature. And it was it was blue, just like desaturated blue. Yeah. Very, very desaturated. And it's just, you know, that's how color grades work. You, movies look a lot more flat, so a nice vibrant color. Like, the vibrant colors in the 90s movie aren't really as portrayed as well in this picture. 
So, as it goes with any movie that was made in the 90s, Roger Ebert reviewed it. As a matter of fact, not only Roger Ebert reviewed this movie, but Gene Siskel did as well. Now, this movie didn't meet the esteem to be on Roger Ebert's website, so I don't think he actually wrote a review of it. But because of the show of the 90s, he did have to watch the movie and review it with Gene Siskel. So here we are. It's one of the many martial arts sequences in Mortal Kombat, which takes the minor prize of being the best video game turned into a movie that I've seen. These are minor rewards, but they're important, I'm sure, to the film. Very true. It's also the only halfway decent video game turned into a movie that I've seen. Here's the story. The fate of planet Earth hangs in the balance as a trio of warriors face off against an intergalactic demon and his henchmen. The bad guy can conquer Earth only if he beats this crew. All of this is explained to the mortal combatants by the Thunder God, played by Christopher Lambert in a fright wig. His voice has gotten a synthesizer treat. The special effects are often sensational. The locations are Asian exotic, and the cast of characters Asian exotic. Are on with appealing types. Ooh. Only the amount of fighting in the back half of the picture gets in the way, but I'm still giving thumbs up to Mortal Kombat. A lot of effort went into this production. I've never played the video game Mortal Kombat, but after seeing this movie, I'm actually attempted. A lot of fun. You know, wow. I uh, yeah. really give a thumbs up. He's wrong. Dead right wrong. Here comes the hatchet man. By the quality. You, you, you know, no. the one thing that bothered me was it was so dark. I wonder if the if the theater was trying to Where, save money on electricity. I saw it in, a, in the best theater screen in Chicago. Oh, well, then I didn't see it in that theater, because I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. And it looked murky. Well, that's the... It just didn't then look... Then blame right. the theater, don't punish the film. Okay, well, I can only review the film I saw, but I'll tell you one thing that was funny as I was coming out. The kids who play this Mortal Kombat game, which you know has been very controversial because of its level of violence, were kind of disappointed that the killings in the movie weren't nearly as sensational oh. as the ones in the game, where people have unbelievably horrible things happen. Oh, I'm happen terribly to them. sorry and for you those children. Been, you would have been amazed if you felt the movie was. Too. The movie I thought it was fun. You had a better time. Admit it. You had a better time than you thought you were going to have in this picture. Well, since I thought I was going to have a very bad time, that would be true okay. almost no matter what I thought. Okay. <laughs> I used to love how they would always bicker back in the day. Yeah. Ebert is very annoyed that Cisco would dare like that movie. And Cisco is annoyed that Ebert has such a stick up his ass that he can't enjoy a fun kung fu flick. A question I also wonder myself. Wow. <laughs> Whatever, dude. I just don't like the movie. What of it? Yeah, this is the first time we've split. So, uh, you want to take it outside? I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight because of that. <laughs> All because I prefer Robin Shu. Uh, and if you want to let me know that my preference of video game movies is terrible, you can let me know that at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. And you can also get in touch with us with Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok as well. Yeah. I'm also available at Illusions13 and Pedro Amador on Twitter. So you can find me there where I might be for a few hours each week. Nice. Yeah. Yep, that's uh that's all, folks. Yeah, that's it. So if you hate both of these movies, that means the best video game movies that there are out there are terrible, and that entire genre of film is completely closed it's off to you. Bad. Yeah, so I hope you're able to find enjoyment in one of these to kind of salvage this entire genre. But seriously, they shouldn't make any more video game movies. I'll say this again. I, I take it back. Hopefully, I won't have to say it again when, when we cover Mario Brothers in a few weeks. Mm. Yeah, because we have to cover that abomination and the new one. Hopefully, the new ones can't, can't be worse, right? Right? I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys, you have a good one. <laughs>